can I say won't give it up? Nolan McKelvey, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Brian. Glad to be here. I learned uh, something today. I thought you grew up on the East Coast, but you grew up in Michigan. It's true. I spent time on the East Coast, but all the way zero through 19, I was in Michigan pretty much. Whereabouts? East Lansing. Okay. Yep. Uh, MSU. Exactly, yep. I grew up about three miles from Michigan State. And did you, wait, if you left when you were 19, so did you do MSU or did you did? I did do MSU. I, two years at uh, the James Madison College at Michigan State. What does that mean? Is that, <laughs> is that fancy? Um, it's basically like a pre-law program, uh-huh. and, uh, and then I ran. <laughs> <laughs> what am I getting myself into? <laughs> Jesus. Uh-huh. Um, well, give me some kind of early musical memories, like what music was played in the house and, and kind of stuff that was inspiring and, and yeah. Um, I had a pretty steady diet of, um, several artists that my parents really dug. Um, my dad was into Motown and the oldies station, um, but he really liked Billy Joel and the Beach Boys and Credence. And so we listened to a lot of those artists. And then my mom liked Willie. Mm-hmm. And like Anne Murray and stuff like oh, that. Yeah. And then we had a healthy diet of the Irish Rovers as well. Oh. You know. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the Irish Rovers are. Oh is, man, you was. you are in for a treat when really? you, when you look that up. Okay. It's um really campy um Irish like barbershop quartet kind of stuff or or just um, like folk songs. Folky. Yeah. You know you know that song the unicorn um no. Green alligators and long neck geese, humpy buck camels, and some yeah. chimpanzees. Okay, that's, wow, that's the Irish Rovers. Well, that's some that's some <laughs> pushing some lyrical boundaries, I think. <laughs> Indeed, uh, but that's the kind of stuff I grew up with. And then, you know, my I, I played hockey all growing up and drove all over the Midwest, and the radio was on all the time. So, yeah. you know, seventies, eighties radio. Yeah, and then. You know, got into the the new wave and the Cure and the Smiths and. So you liked both the Cure and the Smiths. I did. I was not. Uh, you didn't pick a side. Discerning, no. No, you just ran right through the middle of it. Yeah, I was just lights off in the room, loud. You know, yeah. teenager. Yeah, angsty. Feeling it. Yeah, just exploring <laughs> all the emotions. <laughs> but all of that is coupled with that I. I started playing uh, bass in fifth grade strings, and so I played orchestral music and then jazz um, in high school, in high school orchestra and jazz bands and stuff like that. Yeah, too, so. yeah. Did your folks play? Not really. My mom played what I like to call kindergarten piano. Uh-huh. Uh, She's just well enough to sing kindergarten songs. Um, my dad uh, allegedly played clarinet in high school, but Sexy. I've never seen it. <laughs> There's seen any no evidence photographic proof. Of that. <laughs> yeah. So, but there there was a huge strings program in my town, and all my sisters uh, and I played stringed instruments, and okay. all the way through high school. So it was kind of a, a a normal thing in my house. Yeah. Uh. So what happens at 19? This is after two years at MSU. Right. So after when I was 17. Uh, right after high school, almost immediately, I went to Wyoming for the summer, and I went to a University of Michigan summer program, 
and then I came back and went to Michigan State. The next summer, I went to Boulder uh, with a friend and just rock climbed and cruised around and worked at a restaurant. And then I went back to Michigan State. And then I started thinking, why do I keep going back to Michigan State? Yeah. So at 19, after two years at Michigan State, uh, I decided I wasn't going to be a lawyer. And I wanted to be a musician, and I transferred to Northern Arizona University in Flagstaff. Nice. Did your did your parents lose their mind when you told them this? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, mom, dad, I'm doing this, uh, <clears throat> doing this law thing. I, you know, I'm really kind of feeling it. And then two years later, like, actually, I'm going to be a musician. Um, they weren't exactly thrilled about that decision, but thankfully I have pretty supportive parents, uh, really supportive parents, I should say. Uh, and they did not argue too much. Mm-hmm. Um, they, I think they were, I was sort of drifting and I had joined a band and I was playing around East Lansing and I was just kind of had some wanderlust and I just wasn't really focused. And Mm -hmm. so I think they recognized that I needed to do something else. And, you know, I I wasn't clear that I was going to be a musician, honestly, at that time, but I just knew I needed to get West and I wanted to explore different, different ways of being. And Mm -hmm. so that's kind of where it landed. And when I got to NAU, I joined the orchestra and the hockey team and I figured I would land somewhere and meet some people (laughs) land somewhere in the middle of that all i can think of is that scene in uh strange brew (laughs) (laughs) thank you (laughs) yes something like that you know like hockey but it but the music affects how they play (laughs) exactly (laughs) so uh, a musician hockey player that's that's doing it, man. Yeah, I, I saw you had another guy who was a hockey player recently, I think, if I recall. Um, yes, yes, I think I remember. I can't remember who it was exactly. I can't either, but it was cool. It is cool. It's an interesting <laughs> combination of things. You know, any I guess any sport in music is an interesting combination. But um, All right, so you're in... NAU, you're at NAU, you're in Flagstaff, you're 19, kind of first time away from home-ish for an extended amount yes. of time. And what year was this? 1993. Okay, the early 90s, happening. Were you uh, big into the grunge thing at all? No, at that time I was not into the grunge thing at all. Um, when I was at Michigan State, I had a couple of buddies on the on my dorm floor that were really into the grunge thing, and uh-huh. they we started a little trio, and I was playing bass, and they wanted to play Screaming Trees and stuff like yeah. that, and, and it was fun. But I was into the Grateful Dead, okay, and I was going to Grateful Dead shows, and I was into like the acoustic Grateful Dead stuff, Gosh, especially. Uh huh. And I kind of missed the whole '90s because I just went to Grateful Dead shows uh-huh. and sort of didn't turn on the radio and was just I'm in my own little right existence. Yeah. Any memorable shows? I never got to see Jerry, so that's I'm living vicariously through you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, several. Uh, I went down to Atlanta for a couple shows in '92 or three, somewhere in there. I think it might have been spring of '93. Saw a couple shows at the Omni. Um, saw some shows around Michigan. Saw a Soldier's Field show. Nice. Um, definitely got to see Jerry a few times, and then. I, 
the one of the the last show he played here with the Jerry Band, he he played the first set and then a guy came out after an extended break and said Jerry's not going to be able to finish the show. So Whoa. and I guess shortly after that he went to Betty Ford and was not that much longer, but Wow. So Heavy. Yeah, caught uh caught the last show he did here wow. or the first set anyway. Yeah. Okay, so you're you're a deadhead, you're running around flag, you're playing hockey, you're playing bass. <laughs> <laughs> Am I painting the picture? <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. I mean I when I first got the flag I was underage and I I didn't have any access to play gigs there. Right. I'd been playing in East Lansing but um I didn't really know anybody yet in flag in, in that world, so I hadn't really broken into the music scene there and until I turned twenty one. But but that was Essentially, it, yeah. And we were just rapping um, about the great John Lewis. Willis. John Willis. Ah, John Lewis is great, too. He Different is. instrument. <laughs> John G. Willis. Uh, and you kind of mentioned that, that he kind of was an inspiration, was supportive, and, and kind of steered you in the right direction. Absolutely. I, I love John Willis. Um, I love John Lewis, too. John Lewis, too. Yeah. Two very nice people. Yes. Um I know John Willis better, but, um, <laughs> yeah, he, uh, basically, you know, when I was first starting out playing in Flagstaff, uh, he was already playing in, in, in various bands with his brother and yeah. with Limbs Akimbo and other, other projects. And he was just an outstanding bass player and just such a nice guy. But, you know, some people in the music scene see a young person coming along and they, they get scared or they get. Uh, right. envious or I don't know even what or jealous or I don't threatened I don't, or, threatened exactly yeah. not John Willis yeah. he just came along and was like hey kid you're doing great you got so much potential just keep doing what you're doing and that really meant a lot to me and uh, it, it's uh it really kicked me in the pants a little bit and got me to start venturing into my own songwriting and my own just giving me some confidence so yeah. it was huge and that's kind of would you say was it at that point that you kind of switch not switch emphasis from bass to guitar to be able to write your own stuff but you know like is that when you decided you know I'm, I I should play the guitar as well and I should write my own stuff and I have these things and yeah i mean it's when i started writing uh when i was at right after high school when i went to wyoming i i had a friend who had a guitar out there and i already had finger dexterity from bass mm -hmm. and so it didn't take me long to sort of oh this is you know, learn basic chords. And mm -hmm. so I started dinking around with a guitar 17 and then, but you know, at, at around that time, 21, 22, that's when I actually started thinking like, Oh, I could, I could write my own songs and, mm -hmm. and started messing with it with that intent. And so I got more into the guitar at that point for sure. Mm -hmm. And, and gigging around town, gigging around flag. Yep. I turned 21 on June 28th and on June 29th, I had a gig as an upright bass player and I played, five six nights a week for the next several years <laughs> and still going to school still going to school and so you got a degree in i got an undergrad in history and then i did what every great history major does and i joined a band and traveled hmm. makes complete sense to me yeah and um was this an original project that that was doing the touring or it was yeah it was called onus b johnson and we were sort of a new grass mm -hmm. band before new grass really got kind of Big and we we missed the mark by a few years, mm -hmm. but we were kind of ahead of uh, you were ahead of the, ahead of your time. Well, I I'd like to think so. Yeah, I'm just say it. I mean, <laughs> shit, my podcast. 
<laughs> but yeah, I mean, we did a lot. We put out a couple records. We toured the Colorado Front Range a lot, and then uh, California a little bit, and then we went. Um, eventually, um, I started another band with a girl, and then. I went to Hawaii and then I came back and then I decided I was going to go to Boston and then the guys from Onus B. Johnson said, okay, well, I'm going to Boston too. And so they hmm. they came out to Boston. So I was there for about almost a year maybe when those guys joined me hmm. and we did some touring on the East Coast as well. Yeah, and you were we were, we were kind of sharing venue stories of uh, Cambridge and Somerville and um, and it turns out that we were kind of playing in and around boston at the same time you said 90 late 90s to 2004 right yeah basically in the eight or something 98 to around there yeah mm-hmm. um mostly around boston and then i did some touring with some bands there as well yeah Most and still kind of mainly playing upright or, or playing bass or i was playing bass in i think with eight different people at one point at the same time just Whoa. playing bass every night with different people and bands but um, also doing my own thing on guitar occasionally and then putting out albums starting in 2000. Well, Onus B. Johnson started in 99 and then I pretty much put out an album a year since then. Wow. Wow. Where were you recording in Boston? Uh, I did some stuff at um, Paul Caldry's studio. Um, I'll think of the name in a moment here. Uh, and I did some stuff with Dave Westner um, and... Um, some stuff that was home recording with mm-hmm. Tim Kelly, who was in our band, um, mm-hmm. who had a nice setup at home. But studio-wise, it was, um, and then a, a little bit at High and Dry Studios where the Morphine records were made, but cool. that was with other people typically. Mm-hmm. Um, like a Chris Dumhorst, I recorded um, on her um, Five Stories record up there. Um, Paul Coldry's studio. Um, blanking on the name but he's 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 kind of a big dude hmm. and and he did like radiohead hmm. okay computer and Whoa, stuff like that okay. he, he has a really cool <laughs> really cool studio in boston wow that i can't think of the name of how cool was morphine uh extremely cool uh, like instrumentation was like first of all was it barry sax or was it a tenor or both at times. I mean, yeah. this motherfucker, like, he did two, right? He, anyway, <laughs> yeah. He did that real kind of drony thing. And then you had the, like, the fretless bass lead singer yep. and a drummer. Mark Sandman, Dana yeah. Colley, and Billy Conway. Uh, yeah. Who'd rest in peace, unfortunately, yeah. for both Billy and Mark. But yeah. Billy was the singer. Billy was the, the drummer. Drummer. And, and Mark was the front man. He was the front man bass guy. And, and he, he passed, like, on stage, didn't he? Like, he had a heart attack and died on, I mean. He did. Um, 99, just before they went on tour, they played this show outside at the Central Square World's Fair. Huh. It was their last show in the States. And I was there, and then they went, and, like, a week later, he was in on stage in Italy and died. Whoa. Um, I ended up getting to know... Dana and Billy pretty well and I played some gigs with both of them later wow. on and just great band and really good guys and yeah and just it, it reminds me kind of like how I would imagine people hearing the doors for the first time would have been like this is not from this planet that's how I felt when I was introduced to morphine it was just 
kind of like it was like film noir musical film noir and i don't know it just it was um super uh expressive and d- dark you know at times and and he would he, the, the lyrics were these uh, of a kind of seedy characters and 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 i don't know I, I need to dig up those cds i haven't heard that band name in such a long time but i was a huge fan and saw them live once or twice um but yeah what a great boston great boston band I'll hear a voice In the back of the room I hear a voice Cry out You want something good Well, come on a little closer By the front of the stage Yeah, come on a little closer I got something to say I see, come on a little cause I wanna see your face Yeah, come on a little cause I got something to say, come on Well, you see a little devil and buena buena And since I met the devil, I'm playing the same on no And look, feel alright, I have to tell you Yeah, I've had the pleasure of, uh, I have a 15-year-old, and she's really getting into music, and I turned her on to Morphine, and she really likes it. So I've been listening to that a nice. whole bunch lately, just yeah. the last year, maybe six months. And, and Billy passed away just less than a year ago, like six months ago, I think. Oh, wow. And uh, that was kind of, that's what instigated me bringing it up. Uh-huh. I was like, oh, I want to hear some morphine. And yeah. And so that was it COVID related or anything or no, he, he fought cancer for a long time. Yeah. Um, he's, he was playing with Jeff Facult for the last several years. Uh-huh. Um, and they were touring all over, but then he, it just got, it came back, it went away, it came back, went away, it came back and yeah. he finally succumbed. Wow. Just this spring, I think it was actually. That's a drag. Yeah. Um, so the time in Boston was short, but sounds like relatively impactful and you're cutting records and you're touring around and you're being a sideman, but also getting your songwriting together. And what was the decision to come back to Arizona? What did that look like? Well, it was a little bit complicated. Um, the, the main band I was in was the Benders and the Benders was sort of like, we used to sometimes joke and say it was like the traveling Wilburys junior varsity team because it was like everybody in the benders was the front person of their own band Mm -hmm. and we would come together and and play as the benders and of course that was more successful than any of our solo projects Mm -hmm. as is of course right what would happen and we got signed to a little label and we got um you know we started touring and we did some nationally syndicated radio shows and we were going up and down the east coast we came out here toured a little bit as well um but the logistics of everyone wanting to maintain their own band right. was really a difficult thing and i would imagine um there were several conflicts that um somebody had to do a solo gig where we had a great opportunity to do a band <laughs> gig and there was a lot of that kind of push and pull um and then 
uh, a very important factor that I hadn't mentioned yet is that my wife is from here and she was not moving to Boston. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I met her here and, uh, ultimately I just decided that if I wanted to pursue that, um, uh, that was going to have to be out here. And right. I, uh, I bit the, the bullet with the band and I said, you know what, if everybody's not completely on board and yeah. like, what are we doing? Right. And I'm, I'm missing out on this other thing. And right. I left and, um, it was a hard decision and there's still some of my best friends. And in fact, we just, um, released a, a remote album during COVID that we oh, had cool. started way back. And one of the guys found the hard drives and was like, Hey, we started this record in 2003. You want to finish it? And Whoa. so we did. And then we had so much fun. We released a second record of new stuff. Um, cool. So, you know, it's water under the bridge now, but that was, that was a tough decision, but it was, it was the right decision for me. So the story goes is brought to you by Santan Brewing Company and Santan Spirits. They'll be hosting once upon a time, a sweets and spirits tasting event this month. Join our friends from Fairytale Brownies for delectable treats paired with Santan Spirits cocktails that will surely delight your taste buds. It's a perfect pairing event, you know, for a date night out or or just with friends and family. The event will be held on August 25th at the new Santan Gardens in Chandler. Oh my, that's 495 East Warner Road in Chandler. Arizona. Please visit santanbrewing.com to learn more and get your tickets. Come on. This is 2004, and I kind of had a similar, almost, oh, I have a very similar experience in, in the sense that I felt like I was in a band and I was the one trying to lead it, and the other guys had other things they had day jobs or whatever relationships and 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 i was like well fuck this i'm i'm going my girlfriend's in arizona like let's go and uh ultimately it was probably one of the best decisions of my life um but yeah it's interesting what what can create the impetus to make such a huge make a huge life change uh and I was coming out here kind of like sight unseen. I, ha- I had no experience prior to driving down from Flagstaff, you know, coming into the valley and thinking, what is this? What is this? What am I doing? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and, and fell in love with the city and, and obviously the weather. I arrived in October, you know, and I'm like, come on, there's no contest. Uh, I'm never <laughs> going to spend a winter in Massachusetts again, <laughs> you know, yeah, you can go visit. Yeah. That's nice. Love to visit. Oh, just <laughs> love it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, um, it was interesting. I mean, they, they got another bass player, but it didn't really, it didn't really last a lot much longer after that. And, and then, you know, everybody kind of fell back into their own thing. And, you know, one guy's now in Nashville and, one guy still plays around Vermont and does well there and a couple guys still play around Boston. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it, it worked out like it was supposed to, I guess, but mm-hmm. you know, at the time it was, it was tough. Yeah. People, some people were not happy with me. Yeah. Well, it can't please everybody all the time. It's true. 
Now, did you go back to Flag or did you come to Phoenix, Scottsdale area? I briefly came back to Phoenix, Scottsdale, but then um, I got a job up in Flagstaff and then I, my wife moved up to Flagstaff because uh, that was sort of, I like it up there and if I was going to come back, I kind of wanted to be there and mm-hmm. so I was, um, that's kind of how it worked out and then we stayed there f- from 2004 to 2010, I got a master's, two master's degrees in that time, and then um, moved down to Phoenix in 2010, and I've been here since then, essentially, um, just kind of quietly <laughs> like, playing around Phoenix and mostly still playing a flag and playing a little bit in Phoenix. What were the, what were the master's degrees in? Uh, I got one in secondary ed because my wife's a teacher and we thought maybe we'd both teach Hmm. and it would be like, we'd have summers off together. Yeah. yeah. We do that teacher life thing. Um, and, um, I intended to do that and I got the masters, but then, um, there were no full-time teaching jobs in Flagstaff. Um, I got hired as a part-time teacher with no benefits and then my wife was pregnant and... I had applied for a job with the state working with people with disabilities to be a vocational rehabilitation counselor. And uh, I ended up getting hired for that. You had to have a master's, but it could be an associated field. Mm-hmm. And so I got that job and I mm-hmm. took it because I had benefits and turned out to be a great job that I loved. But they paid for a second uh, master's mm-hmm. uh, for me to get that in rehabilitation, mm-hmm. which I got in 2007, I think. Hmm. Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it is kind of crazy. Jeez Louise, man. I, I, you know, just when you think you know where the story is going, you hit me with two advanced degrees and a wife now and a kid and Jesus. Yes. It sounds like, it sounds like, you know, a lot of your life is in this, oh, not constant motion, but certainly a lot of moving pieces and, and very, I wonder if that's kind of a, a result of, being a sideman and having to do a thousand different things. And as you say, one time you were playing with eight different bands, like, you know, in order to put a career together, you kind of have to do everything. And that's just, I mean, I'm just talking about playing music, but everything that's associated, you know, making records and marketing and promoting, and you got to do the website and you got to email your fans and, you know, there's just so much fucking work, but I'm like, that's how you make a light. That's how you pay the bills. That's how you, you know, anyway, yeah, I mean, I, I had to get good at compartmentalizing, that's for sure. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I kind of switched gears, like, you know, two hours ago, I was testifying in court, and, right. like, I put on my other shirt, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to go see Brian Chartrand. <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm a musician guy again. Right, um, right. And, you know, uh, thankfully, I, I can do that. It's it's kind of a blessing and a curse, I feel like, in some ways, because, like, one of the guys in, in the band in Boston... Um, you know, it's just a pure artist guy. You know, he can't do any of that stuff. He can't function uh-huh. really regular society. And in some ways I envy it because somehow like everybody, you know, he, he gets it done. Like yeah. people, people help him and they do things for him and he's just able to sort of function and make crazy river wood furniture and and he's just a true artist and yeah. i i really appreciate that about him but like i i have 
different sk- set of skills, I right. guess. And I sort of, I can't really be that guy. So, right. Well, a little bit of structure, you know, a little bit of like a framework and, but we can exist kind of within the real world. And then we go and we, we do our, the thing that we love and perform. And that's way outside the scope of the normal, you know, everyday yeah. framework you know yeah i think you have to do you well that's i think you have to have kind of both left and right brain right to be able to negotiate normal life artistic life and now you got to mash them together yeah especially now i mean with all the independent music out there mm-hmm. and it's trying to you have to be able to promote yourself and you have to be able to do all the things that um, maybe a record label used to do for you right. and and you know i that is not my strength or my i find no joy in doing that mm-hmm. um and i hate selling myself period right right <laughs> i'm just like if you like the music come if you don't don't come right right, right. <laughs> but that doesn't totally work so i find myself like yeah, doing I'm the do. doing the thing, yeah, and then I get like the social media, and I get and resentful, the... and I'm like, God, I'm, I'm such a loser, like putting out this stuff. Look at me, look at me, and then, and then I'm like, uh, well, I have to because I have to sell tickets, or they won't have me back, and right, you know. So there's this, this constant, yeah, struggle of that, and I, I just hate that part of it, but that's what I have to do to do the other part. So right, I do it sometimes when I have to, sure, grudgingly, yeah. <laughs> um. I have a couple questions, but let's take a short, uh, let's take a short little break and we'll come back. As we aspire forward, emerging from our darker days, intrepidly out towards the ramparts in our way. Trailblazing wilderness explorers There's no turning back We're taking it forward Onward and forward Without guilt or shame talk about forward all right sounds great oh thanks yeah it's uh one of those born of covid songs you know Mm. um just well covid and the political climate we're in and Mm -hmm. various other things uh i think forward is the only pick your pick your anxiety (laughs) (laughs) choose your own anxiety (laughs) yeah maybe i'm trying to sell myself on that concept but forward is the only way yeah you know I don't don't want to go back. That's right. for sure. Yeah. So that's kind of where that was born. But um, yeah, it came out great. Jeff Jeff Lesby did a nice job, and it's got Ron James on it, and um, 
great drummer and Tommy Knowles and yeah. Honestly, I can't remember if it's John Willis or Tim Hogan playing bass, but one of those two uh, have to look. Yeah. It's been a little while since I did that, but I was hearing I was hearing first I thought it reminds me a little bit of Glenn Hansard. It, was he a big influence on you? Um I like Glenn Hansard. Um I I don't know if I'd say he was an influence, but um I definitely you know, when when I saw that movie once, once yeah. and uh you know, I, I he's Irish, so there's that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I was hearing it more in you know, he would do the you know, and it's not just him, but you know, you'd start it at this octave and then as the song ramps up you go up an octave. Like that's whenever I hear that I think of Glenn Hansard for some reason. Yeah, maybe I sub- subliminally stole that from him, but Well, as I say, he didn't he didn't patent that move, but it, <laughs> it but you know, kind of acoustic driving songs that kind of start at that at that pace or not pace, but you know, at, at that level and then you know, like that when you yeah. come out swinging, that that reminds me of of Glenn, but also, you know, as we were talking when we were listening, it, that electric guitar part reminded me of the edge so you you know you, that's good <laughs> you know, there's definitely maybe there is something there like the irish rocker thing you know <laughs> yeah maybe it's in my blood i don't know <laughs> i mean daniel nolan patrick mckelvey it's, it's hard to overcome those things <laughs> i had an interview or a, a review rather from from europe this past year and the guy said i he, saw that he reminds me of of uh, mike scott yeah, from the Water Boys. Um, I don't know who that is. That's uh, another British Isles. They were technically Scottish, I guess, but they were, um, you know, a real sort of high voice. And um, they did like the whole of the moon and um, Fisherman's Blues and some some other songs you probably heard and you didn't realize. Right. But eighties but, eighties uh, band that was that was also British Isles. So there's probably something in there. Yeah with me yeah you're digging up ancestry man you're channeling <laughs> your ancestors um do you know how far back that goes like in your family like i'm assuming that are both your parents kind of of irish descent yeah i mean i know that my grandfather's from ireland mm-hmm. so uh he's from belfast and um uh, he's long since passed away of course but um i know that that side you know mm-hmm. there's that direct link Mm-hmm. Um, my dad's side is supposedly from Donegal, um, but they came over a long time ago. And of course, you know, there's probably, I know I have some German and English and the Western Irish. mutt, Western yeah. European mutt. Yeah. And the Irish were pillaged and right. overcome by Vikings and British and right. <laughs> so yeah. who knows, right. <laughs> who knows what else, but, right. but I definitely have a lot of Irish ancestry in there. It's probably some Scottish too, I'm guessing with a Mick name, but right. uh, there's right. sort of that, s- some of the Irish or some of the Scottish got driven to Ireland and a lot of those are the Mick people, but it's all, yeah, yeah somewhere sure. around there. Yeah. Um, all right. So we talked about, well, what is the, that record came out, you said during COVID? Well, or it was written during COVID. The the song forward is going to be on my next record, which is in process. Um, I, I put it out like about a year ago, but it's been kind of a, a slow process this time. But um, I put out a record in. Well, I put out two records in twenty twenty. Um, 
Yeah. And and one was released in Europe in 21. So um, the one that I put out in that that one, I guess, would be the trio record with Megan Neff and Tim Hogan mm-hmm. um, that was recorded live at an empty theater in, in Flagstaff. The Orpheum. At the Orpheum, yep. I've never played there, but I really want to play there. I've had a really fabulous relationship with the Orpheum. Um, Let's do a co-bill up there. That'd be great. No, I, I mean, I'll open up. I, you know, I'll be, I'll be the acoustic opener. What, whatever. Uh, that would be awesome. I mean, they... And then, of course, I'll play kazoo for your set. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I mean, you know, what are we talking about? Yeah, obviously. I mean, obviously. Yeah, okay. and I mean... We should get you like a, a berry and a tenor yes. kazoo. And I'll so do you both can, at yeah. once. I'll do the droney thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, starting with Onus B. Johnson, we used to do the New Year's Eve's there. Oh, yeah. And like it, the, uh, the uh, egg corn falling down. Yeah. The, 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 um, is that pine, the pine cone? cone pine the pine cone drop. Yeah. yeah. Even before the pine cone drop, we used to play there on New Year's Eve and, and other times with Onus and. I, I played there a lot over the years, and like the, they had a hundred year celebration, and they had Onus P. Johnson come back for a reunion wow. for their headliner. And cool. It was it was it's it's a great place, great people, and uh, they've been really good to me. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're working on a new record. The, the the so you released forward as a single. Is is that what I'm understanding? Yep. Okay. Yes, and it'll be on a record that you'll. That you'll do the thing? Yes, hopefully this fall. We've got five songs done and about five more in process, and mm-hmm. we're just kind of trying to wrap it up. It sounds like it sounds like you were able to stay creative and focused on songwriting during the pandemic. How did you? How did you? How did that experience? Did it change your process? Did it amplify your process? Like personally, I didn't feel I had anything to say and I just wanted to shut down and go in the fetal position and lock the door and close the blinds. Um, but it sounds like you were productive and how, how did, how did that experience affect your process? It's a good question. I mean, I'm, I'm glad you didn't do that the fetal <laughs> position thing. Cause I saw you online a whole bunch <laughs> yeah, and I you were playing do, and you had, had to, to do, do something. something. Yeah, exactly. And I, I started off, doing that as well uh, i did several uh I, did, I think i did five little online concerts sort yeah. of at the beginning and then i was like you know i don't know if this is working it, part of what was not working was that it got hot and i was like uh-huh. <laughs> i can't do this inside my house um <laughs> for a variety of reasons and so i took a break and then i just never went back to it but um i ended up writing a whole lot of songs um and i alluded to it earlier with the that bender's record that's kind of what started it it was like the guy uh jay buyer uh, from the Benders sent the rest of us this email like hey let's finish this record from way back and so um we all have home recording studios so we just started putting that together and then new songs needed uh, started to emerge and we're like let's make a second record and then you know, from there, um, I also, I don't know if you know Ron James. I think you might have met the him. The name sounds familiar. Yeah, he's a great drummer. Uh, I think he's friends with Todd. Okay. Uh, and he, um, just a just a great guy, great drummer. And uh, he's 
real creative with recording and he's good with video stuff so we started making these little videos i made one with john willis and his brother and ron and cool. and i made several with my guys from uh, muscalunge and i basically i just started writing songs and ron would help put them together in those little like brady bunch screen kind of things mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and we we released some stuff that way online and then i don't know i just i tend to i wake up at like five in the morning and i write songs hmm. and then i hope sometimes they come to fruition and sometimes they don't and are you are you writing lyrics and melody or are is it just your your process is just wake up create something whatever it is whether it's music or lyric and then you kind of get on with your day but like what what does it actually look like um i often wake up with some kind of melody in my head Hmm. and 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 usually it starts with just a line or two mm-hmm. that I end up kind of running with, mm-hmm. and I I tend to use that initial melody for the entire like first stab at mm-hmm. rhyme scheme lyrics, like just let it flow, you know, mm-hmm. write as many many things down as you can mm-hmm. as they're associated with this thing. Are you on a legal pad? Are you in your phone? Like how, um, how are you capturing these things? These days, it's it's in my phone. Yeah. Uh, it used to be on paper, yeah. but my phone's there. I usually I wake up in the morning. I you know voice to text, and so right. I'm just flowing kind of. Right. And then I go and clean it up because it's all wrong. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> um, but it all usually starts with that initial rhyme or, or initial melody and then i go back and then i i start i try to put music to it later and and or clean up the lyrics and decide what works and what doesn't work and sort of do that whole you know process of mm-hmm. like filtering after the initial sort of gushing flow right. of ideas right um did the pandemic change how you, like did it did it change your day to day experience at all like did you find yourself i'm assuming you you found yourself home more did that allow for the creativity to come a little easier or did it not have an effect well i don't want to say it didn't have an effect because you know not playing gigs after playing gigs for what 30 years 20 25 years at least uh you know uh, you know practically weekly at least and at different times nightly mm-hmm. um that was it was hard yeah uh you know i mean a lot of people had a lot harder things than that but it was certainly different and uh it's it uh it, it took some adjusting I, I didn't do anything for a while i was sort of stuck and then i don't know i just i think that really that that recording project with the benders kind of mm-hmm. kicked me into gear and was like okay well it, what can we do here and mm-hmm. and um i don't think it really impacted my writing process or anything other than i kind of got a kickstart and then i i just i started writing songs that were sort of related to covid initially mm. and then i'm mm-hmm. like nobody wants to hear that so mm. let's move on right <laughs> and, no i wrestled with that same thing yeah you know it's like i don't want to be singing about this in four years right four weeks you know <laughs> so i i my thing just shut down i was like all right i'm gonna figure something else out I'm going to do the live stream stuff or I'm going to finally do this Steely Dan record that I've been wanting to do and, and start a podcast. And, you know, like I just, I had to change gears, you know, cause I just wasn't, I didn't want to tap into 
you know, that, that anxiety, you know, as you say, uh, social anxiety, but also what was happening in politics and, and just the state of the world. And it's like, bro, I, I want to stay as far away from that as I possibly can. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a lot. I mean, by the way, what are you doing up at five in the morning? Like what is going on? <laughs> Who does that? Like intentionally. I don't sleep much. <laughs> I don't know. I just don't sleep much. I, I wish I could. Are you in bed at like 8 p.m.? No, you you go to no. bed at midnight or something. Yeah, 11 or midnight probably. And you're up at I'm up five at five. Bells. And oh. I'm, I'm, I don't know. I, I, I wish I could sleep more sometimes. Probably like every six weeks or so, I just crash at like 8 o'clock. And I sleep all through the night, but... Mm-hmm. Most of the time, I just I I run on five hours or hmm. six hours, maybe. I'd be and, a fucking mess. I'd be worthless. Yeah, I mean, it started in it started in Boston. I think like I just I would play till two in the morning, get home at three in the morning, and I don't know. I'm just yeah. I, I my body just boom wakes up seven Whoa. six Aye. earlier. Oh. I don't know. So I I think I kind of trained. Yeah, train myself that way. I didn't. Well, and having a child, I'm sure, affects that, and maybe that solidified the whole, the whole thing. You know. Sure, and I mean, if you want to have any creative time during the day, mm. it's kind of like people who are addicted to exercise or whatever. It's summertime. It's like you you better get up early, mm-hmm. and I don't know. It's just that's that's the time that I have mm-hmm. by myself when everybody's sleeping, and I can just kind of you know be mm-hmm. be in my zone and and do my thing and. Uh, so I don't know. That's probably at least subconsciously part of it. Mm-hmm. What beyond uh, making thousands and thousands of records, like what? <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, I mean coasters, <laughs> coasters <laughs> for my beer. <laughs> beyond, I mean, so the so the plan is to finish up this this record with forward on it. Um. You recently uh, played a show at the MIM, which is one of my favorite uh, stages in town. Um, and I hate asking this question, but I'm 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 looking for inspiration, so that's the that's the reason. Um, like, what is your like six month year plan? And I know it's a dick question. No, it's not a dick question. It's it's fine. I mean, for me at this at this point in in my life and in my career, I I sort of. Um, unabashedly just I do this for me mm-hmm. and I write songs and I record them and I hope that you like them and if you don't like them then you don't have to listen to them and that's mm-hmm. fine um, and so I don't know I mean I, I just write songs I try to record them I try to get good gigs and play them out and people seem to enjoy them mm-hmm. and um, you know I just hope to continue presenting my music in in places that i'm comfortable doing that Mm -hmm. and um continuing to write so that i can express myself Mm -hmm. and so it's kind of liberating in some ways because i i ran that race where i had to sort of do that um that thing where i was trying to make a career of it and and i sort of accepted that that wasn't in the cards and that that wasn't what I chose to do and I chose to you know have a family and be a father and mm. and, and I'm comfortable with that and but I still need to express myself and play my music and if people like that 
it's it's icing and mm-hmm. uh i appreciate it and so i don't know i just intend to keep writing and playing music and hopefully you know it'd be nice someday if somebody heard one of my songs and recorded it and was like this is a great song and somebody else toured around and performed it mm-hmm. stuff like that mm-hmm. but um i don't have a ton of ambition about what i need to do next hmm. and and i'm okay with that well hit me with you got this record deal right from a label in europe where exactly yeah so uh that that's been nice um i've been working with something called hemifran this guy uh peter who um I was connected with through a, a mutual friend, and he basically, when I record my songs, he's sending them on to reviewers and to uh, places in Europe that he thinks would be good for me to um, establish my uh, uh, an identity with. And then, you know, somewhere down the line, uh, probably when my kid is out of school and things, I'd like to travel over to the Europe, to Sweden, or to. Uh, Amsterdam or um, you know that's some of the places that they're playing my songs on the radio and things Mm -hmm. like that and so that's sort of a little bit down the line Mm -hmm. but that's definitely um, somebody I'm working with that I hope to tap into a little bit a little bit later Mm -hmm. Um, but if I keep writing good songs and making nice recordings hopefully I can follow up on that sometime in the future and how did they get how did they find you um well I was in the band that I alluded to earlier, Onus B. Johnson, and one of the guys from that band is Dave Desmelik, who is one of my best friends. And he continues to play around Asheville, and he was connected with them, and he and I did a duo record a little while ago, which you heard just a bit of yep. a moment ago. And uh, he was connected with, with Hemifran and told them about me, and I started cool. a conversation with them, and they said, yeah, let's, let's do this. And cool. so... Um, we kind of connected that way. Nice. It's all sort of a a war of attrition, right? <laughs> we we uh, we have connections through friends and people who just hang in there and keep doing it, and mm-hmm. keep doing it, and and I'm sure it's the same for you. I mean, it's just like people drop out. I still got my my right foot in there, you know, and I hope to maybe return in a little more earnestness. You know, when I'm when I'm in this next chapter of my life, but mm-hmm. next few years, I'm probably just going to keep doing what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And and they obviously have like like a booking aspect that they do, or are they kind of focusing on placements or radio or all of the above? Uh, they do placements, but they are connected to people who could book. So, I see. Um, there's sort of a um, a next phase that i could tap into with them mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. down the line which cool i hope to nice i must say t- touring in europe is 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 one of the things one of the few things that i i really miss uh over the last couple of years um it's such a joy and and what what just boggles my mind uh is that you know english might not be their first language but they just have such a huge and deep uh, love for American music and anything from <clears throat> singer songwriter, Americana, bluegrass, jazz, anything that like it blues, anything authentically American. They just love, 
you know, and there's just a huge appreciation. And, you know, as soon as you get to the venue, you're like, oh, this is what, this is what this should be, you know, <laughs> yeah. not, not here's a cold slice of cheese pizza and, and two Bud Lights or whatever. It's like, no, like nice dinner. Just the hospitality aspect is great. The gear is great. Sound up people are like really warm and want you to sound good. You know, like, it's like, holy shit, this is nice. There's <laughs> no get used to this. There's no band menu. Right, right. Yeah, cold cheeseburger, uh, this chicken McNugget, or yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I played over in Ireland a bunch uh, a while ago, and but that's about that's about it for for Europe. But I'd love to get back over there. Yeah. No. That was awesome. Yeah. Um, do you still play hockey? No. No. Hung up the skates, huh? I hung them up. I when I was in Boston, I went to a couple open hockey games, and I my my little um, brain <laughs> thought that my body could still do things mm. that that. Uh, my body can't do anymore. Right. <laughs> right. I uh, I was like, you know, I don't I don't think this is for me anymore. Yeah. So I love to skate. I still skate occasionally, and you know, I'm a pretty good skater. But no more hockey for me. Are you a, a Red Wings fan then? Absolutely. Absolutely. I watch every Red Wings game. No kidding. Yep. It's kind of embarrassing. Almost, I'm like fanboy Red Wings. Let's go. I mean, you know. What are you going to do? Yeah. You can't pick where you grew up, you know? <laughs> no, and I mean, I started skating when I was three, and the Red Wings heyday was right when I was in my 20s, and it was just like, right. you know, I yeah. mean, that's, it was, it was uh, intense, and I, I love it. Yeah. But no more. No more hockey. I still watch. Yeah. I would imagine that being the goalie, well, you're going to blow your knees out. Is that, is that like the, the injury that, yeah, knees or hips, probably. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yikes. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm Well, not, you need those. Right. You know? Yeah. And I'm not a super big guy. And, uh, you know, all the goalies, kind of like with every other sport, really, every everyone is huge now. Right, right. <laughs> it's yeah. like, I I used to do the skate save. You know, that doesn't even exist anymore. I don't even know it's what that like, is. like, they all do, like, what's called a butterfly now, where their legs play uh-huh. out. But I used to go, like, you know, with my kick oh, my leg out. Oh yeah, like that was old school. So I'm not even sort of uh, my my skills are not even relevant anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that front <laughs> antiquated. Uh, yes. Yeah. <clears throat> well, Nolan, uh, pleasure to to sit down and, and rap with you and and hear your stuff and and uh, inspired to hear that you were able to to turn the pandemic frown upside down and and you came out with some great material and and charged up and and eyes on the horizon that's that's awesome i know a lot of other singer songwriters including me didn't fare that well so nice to to see you out there grinding man well thanks i mean you know it's i just feel like i this is my this is my therapist, mm-hmm. you know, it's right. like writing and singing and performing and playing my songs is what keeps me semi-sane. Yeah. And I just got to keep doing it or I won't be. So right. Right. it's like, I don't know. I just keep going. Yeah. So far. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and, and what an impressive just output of material and, and, and your ability to, to, um, 
to be kind of a musical chameleon, you know, in, in various capacities. And, um, that, that says a lot and, and stoked for you. And let's go up to the Orpheum, bro. That'd be great, man. I, I love it I'll up there. I'll get those kazoos ready. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know. Hey, man. Hey, I, you know? I love kazoo. Let's just see I what happens. I think you'd be good at it. You'd yeah. be tasteful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll know when not to play I, I, with the kazoo. That's for sure. Well, uh, thanks for having me, man. This, of course. Uh, it's a great podcast. I enjoy listening to it when, when I'm not on it. Even. Thank you. Yeah. But. It's been a lot of fun. And this is kind of my therapy, you know? Yeah. Uh, forget that music shit. This is this is you know having these conversations and being able to to trade advice you know on a level is has been very helpful to me. So I'm glad you enjoyed. I still have fun doing it, and and uh, we'll see. You know, forward, forward, forward. Indeed. That's the only thing we can do is move forward. Yeah. All right, brother. Appreciate your time. Thank you for coming down. Thank and you. Hopefully we we share a stage soon. Sounds good, man. <laughs>